The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 15th chapter. So Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you, that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, what would you say are the similarities and the differences between a collection of marbles and a collection of grapes? So what would you see as those similarities, those differences? What distinguishes one from the other? I mean, the broad scheme of things, they're both round, they're both small, they both come typically in groups. But what is it that makes them different? And I guess perhaps more, you know, more important, which one are we more like? Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Has Pastor lost his marbles? I mean, where's he going with this one? <laughs> I mean, which one are we more like? See, I heard this illustration in this image many years ago, and I thought that it was particularly powerful, particularly insightful of what it is that we are as a church that how do we see ourselves coming together? And marbles are certainly those things that they have a lot in common with one another, that there's many things that are there. But the fact is, is there anything that is joining them, anything that is connecting them? Is there anything that is there? That if a little nick happened in the bag or that bag was dropped, is there anything there to keep these things together. But now what about grapes? Is that sure enough from their exterior they look much the same of just a round group of items together, but when you look under the surface, when you look beyond what you see, you see the very connections, the very dependence upon one another, that the health of one grape affects the health of of the entire cluster, that you cannot simply just begin to pull and tug on a few without affecting the rest. The fact is, is that they are joined and connected, and their health, their well-being are those that are dependent upon one another. So what about us? 
Are we simply a collection of individuals? Or are we a cluster and congregation of those who are joined, connected, united together with something deeper, something bigger, something that goes far beyond the surface? See, in so many ways, we come to wrestle with that out there in this world and out there in this society is that what is prized, what is lifted up, what is so frequently pushed in our face that you need to go and be you. Show the world all of the uniqueness, all of the individuality, all of those things that make you separate and distinct. And it doesn't take very long to look around. And you'll see from all of the different kinds of changes of clothes and dress and hair colors and ink colors on skin and everything else is that there are many things out there that make us individuals. But when we stop to think about what God has joined together, what God has brought together, are we simply those that are individuals that just simply come and gather that it does not matter if one or two slip away here or there, is that no one will seem to notice? Or do we see that connection, that joining, those things that bind us and hold us, and that it matters? It matters what happens there. See, today in our Gospel of John chapter 15, Jesus comes and says these words to us that this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I want you to think about that. How does that come across of I command you to love? Does that seem unnatural maybe to some of us, unnatural to us in that thought of being commanded to do something? See, yesterday afternoon, two of our fellow Calvary members stood at these very steps, promising before God and vowing to one another of that love, that faithfulness, that care. Do you think that they were thinking, man, I hope that somebody commands me to love this person? that when those moments are there, that there is that feeling that love is something that comes easy, something that is just there. Now, those who have been married more than a day, <laughs> does that love always come easily? Is that love always something that is always just, well, absolutely, I feel like loving this person at this particular moment. Now, I don't know if you believe this or not. But sometimes when I'm at home, when I'm away from here, that I'm not just that happy-go-lucky, just everything's good and perfect, that there's some days that my wife has a hard time loving me. So I know, I asked her last night in church service, <laughs> right about now in the midst of service. I don't think she liked that either. <laughs> But do we feel that need to be told and commanded to love? I mean, it's like when you were growing up when your mom or dad told you, now apologize to your sister. How did that usually come out? Heartfelt and sincere? 
or I'm sorry. I mean, how many mothers out there have had those very frustrated expressions of just, can't you guys just love one another for just a couple of minutes? See, we so often think of love as this feeling. That love is that feeling from which all other things begin to flow and come. But within the Scriptures, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is a deliberate act on behalf of the other person. That the proof of our love is not our feelings, but in our actions, in our laying down of ourselves. That Jesus comes and commands us today that this is my command that you love one another. So how are we doing? Within that community, within that connection, how are we doing of getting in that very connection and community? See, a couple of years ago, I heard kind of a, both a very exciting story and also one of those kind of gut punch stories. So one of our church members who had been involved and connected in many ways and had been involved in some conversations that we had been having in our ministry teams is that they told me the story is that after all of that you guys have been talking about, I finally did it. So that I stepped across the aisle at church service and I introduced myself to someone that I didn't know. That they were very excited that they had that, that they did that, that they answered that. And then they shared what took place. That that individual that they introduced themselves to was someone who also attended that service. Had been a member for about a year and a half or two years at that point. And she shared with him as they began to talk and communicate that this was the first time someone other than staff had stepped across the aisle and introduced themselves. I mean, I was excited for them, but I was also sad to hear. Last night after church, when somebody was, was walking out, they said, you'll never believe this. I've been sitting in front of these people for like two years now. This evening before your sermon, I turned around and I introduced myself. <laughs> so we all have those hard things. But what does it mean that Jesus commands us to love one another and not just to love one another, but to love as I have loved you? That how well do we do at laying aside laying aside our fears, our worries, our comfort zones, laying aside our own ego or our own pride or our own needs or desires or our own feelings at that moment to be able to think of another. I mean, don't we see that very love in Jesus Christ Himself who gave Himself up for us is that He laid down not just more than a little bit of His time or a little bit of His effort. He laid down His very self to make us His own. That He has claimed us and made us 
that how does it say here in John John chapter 15, not only is Jesus the vine and that we are those branches, that we are that very fruit that are joined and connected together, but Jesus says that before you loved me, I loved you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I mean, just think about that for a second. Jesus wasn't the only one who had disciples back in the day. What is a disciple? A disciple is simply a student, a learner. That's what that word means. That when Jesus was there, He wasn't the only one gathering disciples, gathering learners. Is that How did that process usually work? That you sought out the one that you would then disciple under. You put in your resume, you put in your task, you put in your request. You got to choose. But how did that work for Jesus' disciples? Was Matthew looking for a change of job there at his tax collector's booth that day? Or Peter and Andrew and James and John looking for that change of address when Jesus all of a sudden came walking along their way. You did not choose me, I chose you. Christ is the one who always takes that first step, always takes that first action. That as Martin Luther used to say, That God does not seek for what is lovable. He is not somehow out there searching and looking and just, where where are the good people? Where are the right people? Where are those that I just have to love? Because they are so beautiful and so holy and so wonderful. No, God does not seek what is lovable. God creates in us what is lovable. That He is the one who chooses. He is the one who loves. He is the one who gathers and connects. I mean, how do you think those disciples did loving one another? You know, Simon the zealot who wanted to burn down the government, and then Matthew the tax collector who used to work for the government. How do you think those community conversations went? But Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger than political parties. He's bigger than political philosophies. Jesus is bigger than all of our differences, all of our distinctions, all of those things that separate. Christ joins us together as that very people of God. But so what does this have to do with prayer? Is that Jesus goes on to say, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. How many of you, when you read this story, think that Jesus is talking immediately to you? You just imagine, just like, okay, Jesus, just me and Jesus right now. That we often hear these things in that very individualistic terms that Jesus is there talking to me. Yeah, he's talking to the disciples, but he's talking immediately to me. I've pointed it out before, but too often we miss it. Jesus says all sorts of yous in this passage. But we forget that Jesus spoke with that southern accent. 
that southern drawl, I guess, that over and over again Jesus says the word y'all in this passage, is that you all love one another. You all come to me. You all ask the Father in my name that He may give it to y'all. But how often are our prayers about me, myself, and I, and that little pack of people around me? How often do we view our prayers as just that kind of me and Jesus time? Or do we see that very community that God has called us to, that very people that He has made us, the very fact that Jesus says in other passages, not only where two or three gather, that there I am among them, but He says that where two or three agree upon anything, ask it in My name. And if two or three of you agree, then extend that forgiveness to others that Jesus comes to us to give us joy, to fill us with that very joyfulness and that very fullness. That Jesus didn't just come to make you happy. (laughs) That if you want to make a kid happy, just let them order whatever they want to eat and play however many video games as they want and just basically don't expect anything from them, right? But is that what you desire as a parent or a grandparent Is that truly what you mean by saying, I just want them to be happy? You want their joy, their well-being. You want their very needs. That they may grow up to be productive, that they may grow up to be those in healthy and safe relationships, that they may be those that are filled not just with stuff, not just with activities, not just with all of those things that overflow in our lives, but they may be filled with character, with forgiveness, with faith, with love. That they may be able to resist temptation and say yes to what is right. Isn't that what we desire when we say we want our kids to be happy, to be joyful? And so doesn't that mean that sometimes we have to say no? That Paul today, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul reveals his deepest prayer for them. He desires for them what they need most. Now, they had what we would call first century problems, (laughs) not our little 21st century issues, but first century problems of a government that could basically take what they want, of a world that was constantly threatened by that very violence and fear and worry that they faced persecution, they faced disease, they faced early death, they faced all sorts of things that were against them. But as one commentator puts, that in all of Paul's writings and in all of Paul's prayers for his friends, they contain no appeal for the change of their circumstances. 
that they faced persecution and death from disease, oppression by powerful forces, separated from loved ones. Their existence was far less secure. Yet in all of his, Paul, his prayers, you do not see one petition for a better emperor, for protection from marauding armies, or even the bread for the next day. Paul does not pray for the goods that we usually have at the top of our list. That what does Paul pray for? That he prays for peace. He prays for all of those things. That rather in these very things, what does Paul's deepest prayer? That Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That they being rooted and grounded in the love of God may have strength to comprehend, strength to grasp and take hold of what is that very gift of love that they may comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the very fullness of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That Paul's deepest prayer was that y'all might come to know that in all of your heartaches, your hardships, your places of worry and concern, God gives you the greatest gift the love of His Son, the one who laid it all down, gave it all up, the one who did it all for you. Not that your circumstances might change, but that you might have the strength, might have the love, might have the care of Him who is with you. Then may that very forgiveness and love that flows freely from that very cross May it grant to you that very forgiveness, that grace, and that promise all of your days. And may our prayers ever be that God would be creating in us what is lovable. 